the very first auction that I attended, I was 46 years old. Mm -hmm. I had never been to a fundraising gala. Mm -hmm. And so when Buddy approaches the auction podium, I was pretty excited. I'm not going to lie. I was like ready to hear this. So I walked up to him after that auction and I said, how do I learn to do what you just did? And he looked me up and down, Trevor, and said, hey, little Missy. Oh, he said, no, this is like a generational career. Have you ever sent him a Christmas card that starts? Hey, little Missy. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer folks hack into the supermarket intercom system and say, good evening, shoppers. The time is 10.55 p.m. The world is literally on fire, and we're still arguing about drag queens. Drag queens. Still. Is that the problem? Uh, it's going to be fine. Drag queens always win. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2SLGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. Thank you for joining us back at season four. God knows we started off with a bang. Two dream daddies. Uh, I don't get tired of saying that, and I won't stop. The dream daddies, dream daddies, are not back on the show today. They are one episode only. Maybe we'll have some other dream daddies later, but uh, for now, we're going to rock it right into episode two because I am super excited about this guest. This is a very fun curveball. My guest today is Lane, the auctionista. Have you ever encountered an auctionista? They're like an auctioneer, except uh, not extremely boring and likely not selling cattle. I first encountered Lane... Um, how do we back up? Uh, first, you might be surprised to learn that the fine art of podcasting doesn't pay all my bills. It pays a lot of my bills. God knows the coins are rolling in. But if I mismanage, I need to go make a little bit more extra money just to kind of top up, make sure I can buy my bubbly as you were. But anyway, I was moonlighting. <laughs> what dad does... On dad's own time in the evening is dad's business. So I'm not going to tell you the details, but I was moonlighting at, you know, some fancy gala events, fundraiser events, and Lane, the auctionista, came onto the stage in quite frankly the most impeccably tailored outfit I have ever seen in my life. They looked fantastic. You could set your watch to their eyeglasses. That's the level of precision we're talking about here. And they went on to freaking dazzle this ballroom of 1,000 plus people uh, as they cut into their Chateaubriand and uh, raise a ton of money for this beautiful uh, organization. And I said, this person is a magician. I would listen to anything this person said. I would watch this person do anything as long as they are wearing that jacket. And so I chased Lane down after seeing them multiple, multiple, multiple times raise a whole lot of money. 
and uh, I force them to appear on You Made Me Queer. So this is my joy and absolutely your joy. Get ready for this. This is going to be a blast. But first, let's dive a little bit into Lane's bio to learn more about them before my conversation. So Lane, the auctionista, is a philanthrotainer. Yes, listen, when you are this badass, you get to coin all the terms you want. This is only two so far. Uh, a philanthrotainer who has a fervor for audience engagement and a passion for storytelling. 100%. Behind the scenes, Lane is a successful entrepreneur who has raised millions of dollars for social impact causes across North America. As a top charity auctioneer or auctionista with well over 1,000 events under their belt, can you imagine doing anything 1,000 times? Lane has broken down barriers in what is really a male-dominated industry and established themselves as a fundraising dynamo. They are also, very importantly, a fierce advocate for the 2S LGBTQA plus community. You'll hear a bit in this interview really about how Lane had to kind of force their way into auctioneerism, whatever you call sort of the collective noun, the profession, uh, and make it their own, reinvented in a way that quite frankly elevates the entire art to a level that I did not know was possible. I would buy anything from them. I almost have. If they tried to auction something off during this interview, I probably would have bought it out of guilt also because it would be recorded and I think that would put me on my back foot not to purchase whatever they were selling. But anyway, I'm going to sell you a good time <laughs> and Lane is going to bring it. So strap in those AirPods, baby boo, because we are going for it. I really hope you enjoy my uh, conversation, my lovely conversation with the one, truly the one, the only, Lane the Auctionista. I think this is fantastic because folks can't see this. This is a podcast, but I know Lane through a very specific context in which they basically uh, command hundreds and thousands of people in large spaces. And you are always wearing a lav mic and inexplicably and delightfully, you are also wearing a lav mic now. Well, of course, because it's all about good sound for me. That's what I've been trained, you know, in in all these years in my career. You know, yeah. there's two things you cannot fundraise in the dark. And number <laughs> two, you cannot fundraise if they can't hear you. These are important. You need to be well lit and uh, and amplified. And I like this because it frees you up if you feel like standing and pacing the room at any point. You're ready to go. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely not a podium presenter type <laughs> person. You know that. I like to yeah. get down and dirty. I like to get right into the audience. Yes. You know, kiss some heads, sit in some laps, you know, really... <laughs> really connect with people one-on-one -on -one. and i think that for me that's the most i mean that's my sandbox the audience area that that that's my playground right i have seen you sit in a lap but i've never seen you kiss a head and i'm i'm jealous yes I, i've done that a few times you know i have a very like um this is a very like kissable baby head by like you know a presidential candidate or something so uh if we're ever in the room and you need a head uh, I'm, Go I'm ready. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Promise. This is my consent. Promise. Beautiful. So where are you joining me from and how's your day going? Uh, so I'm joining you from the lovely city of Hamilton. Um, mm. 
and my day is going great. I just got back from Halifax last night. I was performing there over the weekend. Yes. And uh, it was great. You know, the people down east are just fantastic, you know? Yeah, great vibe. Their winters are punishing, so they have to be good, kind people. Yeah. And like, you know, the seafood fair, um, oh. how much, how many scallops, how ma how much shrimp and lobster can Lane eat in 72 hours? That's well, I right. tested that. That's right. You did. And what's the result? Um, about 150 pounds of seafood. <laughs> can you know, I, I'm on that diet, Trevor. It's like, uh, you know, I see food, I eat food, right? <laughs> Do you know, in the fourth grade, a girl in my class got in so much trouble because she said to our teacher, hey, do you like seafood? And the teacher said, yes, of course. And then she opened her mouth with like a half-chewed sandwich inside. Uh, get it? Seafood. And the girl, it wasn't a detention, but there was a stern talk afterwards. Yeah, well, you know, grade four. You didn't do that. Pushing the envelope, you know, that's something that I probably would have done too. <laughs> I mean, listen, but you're the boss now. You've got your own lav mic, so you get to make any joke you want. Well, yes, within reason, you know, I, I, um, you know, when I got into this crazy business that I'm in, mm -hmm. that was one of the things, Trevor, that really drove me to do this work because the very first auction that I attended, I was 46 years old. Mm -hmm. I had never been to a fundraising gala. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm the child of immigrants, so everything that was done fundraising wise was for the community in a church basement with a bazaar and you know cookie oh, trays yeah. and things like that. Oh yeah. And even as I grew up into adulthood, um, I was never exposed to the charitable world. So Sue and I go to this um, fundraiser, a dinner auction for a women's shelter. And literally, I was like, what do we do? Do we bring a wallet? What happens? I had never seen a silent auction before, and I certainly hadn't seen an auctioneer. Mm -hmm. So when Buddy approaches, you know, the the auction podium, I was I was pretty excited. I'm not going to lie. I was like ready to hear this <laughs> rip-roaring fun time. Trevor, 120 items, two hours later no. of berating and pushing and and just you know bicycle after barbecue after wine basket it was so <laughs> jarring and you know he was calling out the audience in such a just an unpleasant way right just shaming the money out of them shaming them and you know i was new to the new to that whole charity gala thing i mean i didn't know if this was right or wrong right. i know now that he was likely a livestock auctioneer and that's how you would <laughs> behave in a room of pigs okay but, you know these are people that are supporting and want to be inspired to give so i walked to him walked up to him after that auction and i, I said how do i learn i turned to sue and i said oh my gosh like i could do this like there's no way I could i'm sure this. everyone in that room was like surely we could do better surely we can do better <laughs> and i walked up to him and um i said how do i learn to do what you just did and he looked me up and down trevor and said hey little missy oh and you know nothing ever goes well when you start off with those words yeah that's not the way you start that's not the way you start and he said no no way man this is um this is like a generational career right and so that 
was the beginning of it you, all for you me. You have to come from a lineage of people who really hate people to do what he did. It sounds like. Think how <laughs> well, many that's people why went, he's in a, That's why he's selling probably pigs and livestock, and he's probably amazing at that. Well, sure, sure. And, and I encourage you to stay in your lane. Think how many people went home with blenders that night, and every yeah. time they look at them, they just feel like human garbage because yeah. <laughs> of the trauma it's linked to. It, it it could be and 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 let me just say that i've been doing their annual gala ever since i went to auction school i mean that's a beautiful little poach right have you yep. ever sent him a christmas card that starts hey little missy <laughs> <laughs> think about it <laughs> people have asked me have i ever run into him again and i said thankfully no oh no that's well this is the is this the perfect segue i'm gonna try and make it the perfect segue uh we come from different lineages. People came before us. People have strong opinions about who we should be and how we should be that person. And uh, sometimes that can lead us to auctioneer school. Sometimes that can lead us to queerdom. And Lane, that is what happened for us. Of course, we were impressionable, beautiful people sauntering into galas in the metaphorical sense of all sorts, uh, didn't know what to expect. And then, you know, of course, messages were shouted out and and we became the beautiful queer monsters that we are today. So, Lane, that's why I've called you here. That's why I've asked you to put on the best pair of glasses in the business and a lavalier mic and to turn off your fan so the people can hear loud and clear. Lane, the auctionista, who and or what made you queer? Um, I was a child of the 60s and I swear to God, it was Sesame Street. <laughs> oh, yes. We've never had that one. Take me there. How old were you? What was the story? So, you know, uh, I was born in 1962. I'm 60 years old now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sesame Street was what you watched. We watched the Flintstones. We watched, uh, um, you know, Ultraman, these shows that you have probably never, ever heard of. Oh, I know all these goodies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I would say um, by the time I was seven, I knew there was something different with Lane. Wow. I knew it. Um, I remember, and I'm going to be so open about this because it's like, you know, this is just part of my story and I'm so ready to tell it. Please do. Um, I remember being in the bathroom. When I was seven years old. I think I had just had a tub tub. I don't know. Oh, you mean a bath? Yeah, a bath. Okay, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a bath and I was standing looking at myself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And I had, I guess, you know, girly long hair back then. And I combed my hair back. I put on some of my dad's shaving cream. I love found, this. I had found a popsicle stick somewhere in the house. <laughs> And I started kind of pretend shaving my face and looking at myself and saying, you're don't really feel like Lane. Now that is that that's not my name at the time. But yeah, um, I said, I feel more like a Gregory. And you got to remember, yeah. this is the 60s. So those were the, the names, you know, like right, Gregory right. and or, or you know, Doug or or whatever it was. And I remember absolutely thinking like I should be one of those you know, presenters on Sesame Street, or I should be Ultraman, or, but I can't really talk about that. Right. right, okay, so you had this kind of cool discovery moment, but also imbued in that was also knowing this is a secret moment. 
Well, I don't even know if it was a secret moment other more than it was like, I don't even know what I just thought, okay, this is me feeling this way. Right. So I'm just going to be this way. So I was very much a tomboy. Mm -hmm. I always played dad when we played house. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, I maybe got kicked out of a couple of sleepovers for getting too snuggly with with the girls. But <laughs> I don't there was no there was no word for this in my world. Yeah. At age seven, eight, nine, ten, grade three, four, and five. And was this in Hamilton as well? Yes, it was okay. in Hamilton as well. Yeah. So, you know, I had a couple of issues going on. I was this child of immigrants. So, you know, I took weird food to school and I didn't eat peanut butter sandwiches. And then I had a bag for my shoes, which all looked very strange. Where's your family from? Uh, we're Latvian. Okay, got it. Baltic country. Beautiful. Um, so that was part of the bullying. But uh, I, I realized at that sleepover in, in grade four or five, that snuggling up to a girl um, under a sleeping bag when you're playing house and maybe house is finished being played and okay. you're still doing this is causing alarm. Right. That was kind of like, whoa, there is something really wrong here. Yeah, it's f interesting, hey, when you're a kid, because everyone is just sort of a, this visceral creature just operating from their instinct. And then suddenly when you do a thing, when it's like a record stop moment and everyone's like, you realize no one else had an impulse to do that one thing. It's a it's a weird inventory taking moment when you're like, oh, I guess I have to like be careful. I can't just be myself. Um, shelve it. Yeah. Just shut the door on it. Yeah. Shelve it because there's something wrong with me. Mm. Nobody else is like this. I don't see anybody. I don't see representation. There was nothing like that on TV. I cannot imagine, even 20 years ago, there was even 15, you know, not really a lot, but in the 60s, there's no, no vocabulary, no nothing. Yeah, we didn't have that. Yeah. Um, and so everything was, you know, I, I remember even struggling with my grandmother. You know, my parents would go off to work and I would struggle with my grandmother. I would lie that it was gym day every single day because uh -huh. girls wore dresses, skirts, and, you know, uh, what do we call it? Leotards. Yes. Leotards. Yes. <laughs> and the boys wore pants and shirts and bow ties, you know. This was at school? Bow ties? Oh, yes. All right. Kindergarten. Some of them, you know, absolutely, you know, bow ties, white pressed shirts. That was the norm. So girls, right. the gender, the, the gender expressions, female, male, you know, that's and right. I remember saying to my grandmother, it's like, it's gym day today. And she said, it's not gym day today. Gym days are Wednesday. They changed it. Yeah. I wanted to wear pants. Yeah. So badly. And I was, I was just shut down. And again, no girls wore pants other than on gym day. So, right. It was a statement. Uh -huh. Right. So there's yeah. all these little subliminal things happening that are in my brain going, you're weird. You're just plain old odd. Right. There's something really weird with you. So you better stop expressing this and just fall into rank. Now, was there ever, because I had sometimes like, sure, the goal would be, the incorrect goal would be stop expressing. But like, sometimes, like, did you try and stop the feeling or cork the feeling? Or did you know, I just can't talk about this, but this feeling's here to stay? 
I uh, I just suppressed it. Yeah, I got it. I just suppressed it, and I tried very hard to integrate myself into the world of Barbies <laughs> and um, nail painting and yeah. and hair curling and all of that. And I did that mm-hmm. because I wanted friends. I didn't want to be ostracized. Sure, absolutely. But you know, on the weekends, I found the boys that wanted to play ball and you know play cops and robbers and that's Mm -hmm. what we did back then and as i worked my way up to middle school i scouted out you know who i thought i would align with i would look for the most tomboyish girls Mm -hmm. and and go to them and just create some space for myself yeah um the others who i didn't know were others i mean nobody came out and said hey i'm queer um of course you know we're community there there, yeah. there were no words there there was it, it just did, didn't exist but you could see other people kind of bristling under the conformity in some way where like the way they accessorize or presented themselves subconsciously was a bit of a signal it's how i think we we dealt with that uh suppression yeah you can't suppress everything you can't suppress everything and eventually the cork has to pop off the bottle oh my god you know yeah like uh, honestly it's so funny too because like think of how and i know this is still very much happening but how many kids on either side of well not even just one line but either side of this arbitrary line being like can i just play with a toy on the other side like it's so banal but the way we like police like i was here you know, dabbling. I'm, I was born in the eighties. So I'm just like, can I just watch one more gem episode or like, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like parents being concerned, like, it's just so laughable now. Like a kid just wants to, you know, wear pants, let the kid wear pants for God's sake. It was a different time back then, Trevor. It was a different time. It was a completely different time. Everything was so, you know, you're either one gender or the other there is nothing in between and you know i mean i'm sure you've you've read the books you know the history that we've been there forever yeah um but we're fearful right it, yeah. that the fear was there it was always underlying the fear of rejection the fear of violence the fear of being ostracized the fear of you know our families turning our backs out that was not my experience but um, the fear has always been there. So mm-hmm. um, as I worked my way through high school, mm-hmm. you know, I dated the hottest guys. <laughs> you, yeah, you covered hard, huh? I, I did. I really, really <laughs> covered hard. And um, it took me till age 40. Wow. 40 to just say, that's it. Yeah. I, I cannot carry on like this anymore. So I'm, you know, I'm only 20, 20 years into being out. Oh man, you got to make up for lost time. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I am. Trust me, I am. <laughs> you made me queer. You made me queer. We'll be right back. And now back to more You Made Me Queer. You mentioned Sesame Street, so I'm curious if we can go a little deeper. Was it certain characters? Like, what was it about Sesame Street that spoke to you? Well, I I think for me it was, you know, it was a few television shows. Okay. I wanted to be Ultraman badly. I loved the muscles. Sure. That's the silver suit with, like, the red. Oh, how do you yeah, even yeah, yeah, know yeah. that? Super tall. Oh, yeah. No, they still aired that stuff when I was a kid. 
and you know i just i was always very attracted to um you know the male physique sure um i love so same I, I just thought oh <laughs> look at that brown cable knit sweater mm -hmm. on on you know steven on um sesame street i would never be allowed to wear that i can see myself dressing like that yeah i can see myself representing myself in that way so you know i think these were the first television images that i was aware of i was you know watching the flintstones and watching who is it in the flintstones did you want one of those uh big um like leopard uh moo moos what's well, it fred wears <laughs> well you know there were these flamboyant um characters i can't remember there was one of the saxophone playing guys yeah and i thought skiddly do wow 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 yeah and i just thought oh my gosh that's me like effusive yeah yeah just and, like eccentric and mm. doing their thing and this free spirit they they you know skiddly do wah wah dressed in like this black suit and this french kind of looking beard from those days and yeah. you know the saxophone and i thought that is me you know it's so funny and that unpacks i think all this like hiccup we're having with gender performance where it's like it's not so much gen like sure gender performance is an element but like people just want to express themselves and they want to dress how they want to dress and i think so much of this resistance is like so many people are just afraid to be themselves and like kind of live out loud in a way that it's becoming a policing of gender performance like too much color or too much whatever and and that's one of the things i love about you because when i think of you i see you because you're such a visual person like the way you present yourself and dress so it totally tracks that little lane was like when you imagined your identity it was through you know dress and like who you could be and who you could show who you were and i sure hope you have a brown cable knit sweater please <laughs> tell me you do <laughs> i i have a really awesome wardrobe oh yes and can you i do. can i just go down the lane of the first time that i felt that i was ready to walk into a men's clothing store oh yeah okay so i had come to a point in my life um you know early in my 40s and i thought okay like i simply cannot go to the bay women's section anymore <laughs> i, I, I thank god <laughs> I, I can't do it anymore yeah i you know i would find maybe the odd colorful shirt there um and i thought no that's it i am i'm i'm, I'm going in i'm going mm. in so i was um i went into a franchised men's department store and I walked in and I was not approached. Mm. I was, you know, zhuzhing around the racks. I was looking for a jacket, some pants, some shirts, maybe a tie. I was not approached. And when I was finally approached, they said, are you looking for something for your father or brother? Like inconceivable, any other option. Right. Yeah. I said, no. Um, I'm not, I'm looking for myself, but I'm not going to be looking here any longer because I don't feel comfortable in this space at all. And I walked out. Yes. That's like a Julia Roberts, pretty woman moment in the clothing store. Missed opportunity. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I said, <laughs> you, you don't even know what you're missing. Yes. You, you know, you have an opportunity here to work with me, to make me feel comfortable. And you have closed the door on me without even taking a moment right so i mean that was 
a pivotal point because I had to find a solution. And so from there, I reached out to the community. I said, okay, mm-hmm. butchies and so on, where are you going? Yeah. Or at least tell me, you know, where do I find some folks that are welcoming? And I found my first men's clothing store yes. where I walked in, no questions asked. And then I found, you know what I found out then, Trevor? Well, you tell me. I will tell you something <laughs> that these men's stores don't charge to have sleeves shortened. Oh, really? It's like, what? What? You go into a woman's store, every alteration you are going to pay through the nose. Right. I go into the men's store and I'm thinking, okay, well, these sleeves are, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I look like a, an eagle, you know, like the <laughs> long flappers, like Flipper the Dolphin. Yeah, and it's a look. Like, yep, we're just going to shorten them up and we'll uh, taper it in and the length is a bit long. We'll chop that off and what? we'll shorten up the sleeves and off you go. And I said, you mean without paying or alterations? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, without paying. Oh, my God. So weird i had no idea and the same thing for haircuts yeah it's the haircut grift for men's cuts it makes no sense like regardless of the length of your hair if you're getting a quote-unquote female cut it's like five times the price i had a friend tell me the other day that she paid to have her hair dyed like more than three hundred dollars yeah what is wrong with that why that's what I thank God my head is buzzed. Yeah. Like we should all shut it down. No one should be paying into this system. Right, exactly. So, you know, I found myself a queer hairdresser. Oh, thank God. Like, you know. And is it cheaper too? Any length you want, no alteration fee? <laughs> Same price, no matter what I want, how I want it, it doesn't matter. Oh my God. You know, and I mean, they get it. They of course get it. So you finding places you could shop to really be who you wanted to be was also a financially motivated decision. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting because um, even to this day, you know, mm-hmm. the, the biases are out there, that the discrimination is out there. I, I face it daily. Sure. I just flew back from Halifax and, of course... I have to use a washroom in the airport and, of course, let the screaming begin or the looking at the signs, right? (laughs) Yeah. But even with, you know, um, my performance clothing, they're all bespoke. They're all custom made. They have Mm -hmm. to feel comfortable on me. And, you know, one of the questions I um, experienced was, do you want the buttons on the man's side or the lady's side? How do we still have a gendered button side, Lane? Right? And I said, <laughs> left. Thank you. Yes. Left side. <laughs> oh, my God. The things that are gendered, the big pens for her. And yep. the th- like, what is, what is this world? How are we still doing this? Well, you know what, Trevor? It's about acceptance. It's about education, and then it's a it's about the readiness to yeah. be educated. Yeah. You know, I I look at my kids, and they're thirty and thirty two, and their life experience has been so completely different. Yeah. You know, they yeah, yeah. they've gone to school with fully multicultural classrooms, and some of this stuff is so meaningless. For them yeah and you know the pronoun piece it's just early adopters it's like mm-hmm. right away yes that makes sense but you know we we struggle with those that first of all they're uneducated around mm-hmm. this piece mm-hmm. they're living in that heteronormative cis world and that is their 
their fishbowl. That yeah. is what they're in. So they don't have, sometimes it's opportunity mm-hmm. to expose themselves. Sometimes those who they surround themselves with them reflect themselves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's about educating, but it's also about, you know, I, I am not someone who promotes the cancel culture, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if you get my pronouns wrong, you're not out of my life. Right. We're going to have a moment and I want to educate you yeah. and I will stop you and say, I need you to do better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm empathetic as well. Certain, <laughs> certainly with, with some instances, you know, my patience wears thin, but ultimately I am empathetic. And I think now at, at my age where I am in my life, um, for me, it's about educating. It's about being empathetic. It's about looking at my uh boomer peers and <laughs> and calling them out now and saying yeah. no you know you can't call me she and you can't assume that and you can't Absolutely. assume that about anybody so there's a lot there's still a lot of work to be done i mean we've progressed but i don't want to get too much into the political side of things but boy we've got problems right now right 100 percent. well right. and the good news is that and you're totally right in that like gen z and sort of the next generation they grew up with so much more of this being normalized and like you said education with people who had access to coverage like media coverage or like basic communication about different identities and orientations and things like that so they have a bit of a, a vocabulary around it also as much as I buck against mortality, maybe it is good that we all die out every now and then because we just kind of thin the ranks at the top of the people who just don't get it, and the next generation does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, that that's true. I am that part, getting up to those ranks that are going to be thinned out. So I um, <laughs> no, I, you, no, not us, <laughs> yeah, not us. Well, age wise, age wise, but you know, um, yeah, yeah. I think at you know my mature age, I I also bring a different perspective around my lived experience and a different type of opportunity to connect with peers of my age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fifty five, the sixty, the sixty five, even the seventy. You know, um, my story's a little bit different, and uh, you know that that's it. I I am done. I have had so many instances that have almost flattened me emotionally and I'm sure. I'm done with that. You know, it's yeah. I was so so concerned at the beginning of my career, you know, making sure I had those FaceTime, you know, consultations so I could, you know, sense if I would feel comfortable working with these folks, you know. There's been so many times like that you know, throughout my career, but um you know, it's about moving the dial a little bit every day, right? Oh, totally. And it's, you know, thinking about representation, if you ask me to imagine like the auctioneer world, like you told me, that seems like a very cis male het environment. A hundred percent. Right. A hundred percent. And, you know, moving through that space and breaking that stereotype, and if I may be so humble to be mm-hmm. at the top of that game. Oh, yeah, um, you kill it. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. And, you know, 
it's about who you are. It's about your skill and your experience, what you bring to the table professionally. It's not who, <laughs> what you look like, what right. pants you're wearing, and what you're what you're doing with your hair that where day. Where your buttons are on your jacket. Where your exactly <laughs> where your buttons are. And I think that um, you know, throughout my career, I have realized that you can find your greatness you can ultimately get to who you really are meant to be by letting go of those stereotypes by allowing yourself to just be who you are you will find your place you really will and it's about surrounding yourself with the right people to help you get there too yeah here here beautifully said you're right it is sort of that you got to meet the two where you you also you have to discover who you are kind of along with everyone else. Like you have an instinct, of course, but I don't think you can kind of like sense make as you go as a person, just like you let it out and you, well, that was my experience at least. And then you kind of surprise yourself a bit and discover like, oh, this is, I actually am more like this or more like that, or it just comes out. Well, I will tell you, I mean, I don't look the same as I did 20 years ago, sure. 10 years ago, or maybe even six years ago. You know, I have redefined who I am. And mm -hmm. that is because I have a lot of comfort, you know, in, in terms of internally who I am now, um, in terms of externally who mm -hmm. I choose to spend my time with yes. professionally, personally, um, how I navigate all those weird spaces that we go into. I just like bomb right in now. And it's like, you know, this is Lane and this is who I need to be because I, I, I want to be a happy person and being myself makes me the best version of myself. Right, right. It's so easy when you say it like that. Sounds easy, doesn't it? It sounds so easy. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I wanted I wanted to take you back, if you don't mind. How did you let um, the, the hottest guy in high school down easily when you broke his heart? Well, you know, <laughs> how do I answer that? How do I answer that? I know we were so compatible in some ways sure sure you know you fake it till you make it that kind of thing oh my god yeah i do you know and um you know in high school it's like a long-term relationship is one semester right that's right they're like how did you do it how do you make it work <laughs> well again um i i think i really dug into my female wiles mm. i knew that any type of other expression of myself would not lead me to a safe place probably mm -hmm. and you know it's interesting because when i came out to my sister about 40 just the one sibling one sibling okay and that made me consider the fact that you know she can't be the only one <laughs> that may have sensed that or known that i'm sure that my female friends in my group in high school knew that about mm. me i'm sure that i couldn't completely hide it whether it was through some kind of actions or some kind of you know spoken word or mm -hmm. or something um, I, i'm sure that it was but um you know kids are cruel they, they can be extremely mean yeah um and it's such a vulnerable time in your life too when you don't really have the tools to kind of shrug that off right it is you know you're experimenting with all kinds of things you're trying to find 
your place? Are you an A, B, or C? I mean, it was very hierarchical mm-hmm. back then. I'm sure it still is. Which <laughs> yeah, now, you... now there's social media. <laughs> God, God bless those kids. I know, I know. Which yeah. group do you belong in? Yeah. So, you know, I went on and I got married. At um, I found um, somebody at, at pretty much age 17. Wow. And got, got married at 21. Wow. Had my two children. Yeah. And, um, you know, our relationship, uh, you know, parted when I was about 38. Wow. That was a long stretch. That was a very long stretch. Very, yeah. very long stretch. And it was a very difficult relationship. My gosh. And um, I dated a couple of guys afterwards, and I thought, this is just not working for me. Yeah. And Trevor, no word of a lie. <laughs> At 39 years old, uh, I said to myself, okay, uh, you know what? Uh, I, I can be okay being alone for the rest of my life. I, I don't know how I'm going to find somebody. I'm not like fully out. I don't have community. It's just me, yeah. me, me, and me and my kids. And I'm just going to focus on that. And then it happened. And then you met someone? I then I met someone and I didn't date. I mean, I didn't go on any kind of, you know, website looking for, you know, looking for lesbians uh, or anything like that at the time. (laughs) Love that website. I was hired by um, who is now my wife. I was hired by Sue. We worked at Shoppers Drug Mart. She was the store manager. Get get out. Come Uh on. So I I have a long lineage. My father was a pharmacist at Shoppers. I worked at Shoppers for many, many years. Oh, wow. And um, so she hired me as the assistant manager. And I hope to God nobody else from Shoppers is listening to this. But <laughs> six weeks later, we were eating from the same spoon and in the lunchroom. And that's uh, not a metaphor. That's no. that actually. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that went hard real yeah. quick. Yeah, it, it did. I fell in the interview so hard for her. I, I didn't hear a word she asked me. I was just, look at those leopard stockings and look at those <laughs> heels and look at all of that stuff. And, you know, she was not out herself. Yeah. We were kind of in this same. Wow. She wasn't out, but was she out to like she knew it was just a secret? She was or? Still, no, she was still in a relationship at that oh. time. Oh, and she man. had never, um, no. I love this because it was just like so undeniable inside of both of you that it just like boiled over. It did. It did. Um, I knew that this is the person that I had to be with for the rest of my life. Um, I think, well, <laughs> she felt the same way. <laughs> right, right. And we made it happen. So here's the funny part, Trevor. I mean, so, it's all pretty funny so far, but keep going. <laughs> so here's the funny part. So here we're together and it's like, woohoo, you know, here. And we said to each other, well, where do we go now? Like, where, where do we go and meet other people like us? Right. Trevor, this is 20 years ago. Right. Where do we? So I went. And this is in Hamilton still. This is in Hamilton. So okay. I literally went to you know, my laptop. No, it was a computer at the time. That's right. Good old desktop. And I typed in, where do lesbians go to have fun? <laughs> and <laughs> what did it say? And it said, go to LLFF. This was the London I lesbian. thought you were going to say LL Bean, and I got very excited. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know there what? Too. We, we can go down that fashionista road again but it was it's called the london lesbian film festival 
Okay. And it was held in London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. I said, we're booking tickets. We're going to go see what this is all about. There's there's an entire movie weekend and and a dance and, and all this stuff. Oh, yes. And so we went. And there we made lifetime friends. Oh, I love that. Found our community. Friends that are still our, our, our family today. Yeah. Um, you know, and the greatest part was is that TD Bank um, sponsored that event. And I was, ju- my jaw was dropping because I was like, like. Right. To see a big corporation or a multinational bank step up and say, we support lesbians. Yes. Oh my gosh. So this is, this, this thing was the largest lesbian film festival in North America. There were, there were women there from Massachusetts, if you can believe it, <laughs> and, and Detroit and, and, <laughs> And they were coming together and gathering. And yeah. all of a sudden, it, it like blew me in the face. I didn't know what a lipstick lesbian was, those labels back then, what right. a butch was. I was like, oh, my God, I'll take the uh, – I see myself <laughs> in the top half of them and the bottom half of that one. If I put those clothes together, that is me. Yeah, yeah. It was like an aha moment. Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. A, like, hilarious now to think of a time when corporations hadn't ponied up to take that big queer dollar, which now they're so ravenous for. Um, but also, it's funny how those, in a way, those stereotypes or those archetypes can be helpful when they're not oppressing you, when it's just showing you, like, the cast of characters you can become. And then you can kind of pick and mix. Right. Yeah. And. You know, it, it's it's kind of like going on those Olivia cruises or the Atlantis cruises. We, sure. We did that too. Uh-huh. And there is a... There Hosted by Rosie O'Donnell? <laughs> well, we've seen them all. Trust okay. me, we've seen all the top. Wanda Sykes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was just a sense of security and safety and, and, and normalcy to be able to hold... And this is like 20 years ago. To be able to hold hands. Yeah on the boat and and just be yourself and kiss your partner um there was this safety place right it mm-hmm. was like this floating community and then you would embark get back off in san diego miami and you felt like you were entering the world of the misfits right once you have a taste of that you realize how much you've been kind of sucking up for so long and it's funny too maybe you can relate when i sort of went through my whole coming out journey which was very long and protracted before that i thought being a queer person was sort of like me and in every situation i was just thinking about everyone's i can't let anyone find out and it just kind of monopolized my thoughts and then it's nice to discover other facets of your personality when you're not sort of obsessing over your orientation and gender identity where everyone on the cruise is queer you can also figure out other things or be like oh i'm this is a boring person (laughs) they happen to be queer but they're also boring (laughs) or like you know there's other facets about these people that's right that's Mm -hmm. right so of course you know when we talk about kind of what made you queer lane you know it was you know we talk about think about the media right yeah and there was no representation in the media back then Mm -hmm. and you know there was so much more representation now and it's exactly that same thing walking onto that cruise ship and seeing every size shape form um um every expression Mm -hmm. every 
just folks that are completely expressing themselves as to who they truly are, yeah. right? And there is nothing more beautiful than that. And that's, I think, why people get so scared, because it is the most exciting, liberating thought, but it does kind of put the ball back in their court where it's like, you can do this. And the only one really stopping you is you. And I think that freaks people out because every time you do what you do, you give people a peek into like pure joy of authenticity. Yeah. And so very interestingly, in my career, um, you know, I've worked with thousands of clients. I've done thousands of events. And it was really interesting because a couple of years back, I sat down and I thought to myself, you know, nobody really knows me. Hmm. They don't know my background. They don't. I know everything. I'm the one to always ask. So tell me about yourself, you know, and, and oh, where'd you go to school? And where did you grow up? And what did you like to eat as a kid? And yeah, you know, you're the consummate host. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I've, I've never really opened up about myself. And now I am. Yeah. And I think that that is, it's healthy for me. And it's also educational. It's also, um, you know, for those that are interested to hear about my background and my story and my lived experience, and it's creating conversations, yeah. which I think is so incredibly important because folks might see me as, oh, I'm, I'm that, you know, dynamo on stage, so much energy, <laughs> always happy, laughing, and they don't know the tragedy. Yeah, right. The turmoil. Yeah. You're not a character. You're a person. The crying that I've experienced walking out of some events into my car. Oh, and no. In tears, in tears from what some people have said to me. And I don't talk about that. I never talked about it. But you know what, Trevor? I'm talking about it now. As you should. Uh, and what a what a great way to use that platform that you have. And like, honestly, with your personality, with how eloquent you are and how funny you are, like, you, you're a person who should have a lav mic taped to your face at all times. When you go to sleep, when you wake up, I always want it there. So yeah, absolutely, you should be telling your story. Yeah, I think so. And I think that what that does is it also, you know, others know that they're not alone. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's really important because I know what it feels like to feel alone. I think a lot of queer folks do, yeah. In your thoughts, in your body, in your brain and thinking there is something so freaking wrong with me and I don't see anybody else like me. I've been alone and I know what that feels like. If I had one person, I mean, I found them all at the London Lesbian Film Festival. That's right. That's right. And that was, it was, it was, it was <laughs> as magical as it was and as triumphant as it was, it gave me such relief. Yeah. It gave me such relief thinking, yeah. okay, Lane, you're, you're, you're not, there's others. You're not the only one. You can feel a bit like the person on the moon, especially when you're seven, like you said, and you just have no, there's no reference point. You're just kind of floating through space. And then you see that first other student wearing pants or with the buttons on the wrong side or whatever. And you think maybe I'm not the only one. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we are humans. Humans are a collective species. We need people we need family we need community we mm -hmm. need that to yeah. survive and uh you know i think that that is imminently why 
you know, I'm kind of taken to the streets right now. And I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm opening up like a book. I'm just like, tell it all. Do tell it. it all, you know, do it. I've done, I've done the work. Um, and it hasn't been easy and it's been super emotional. But, you know, I think the biggest moment in my life was I, I had come out to my father the night my mother passed away. This was oh, 2003. Wow. And I was so afraid. And my sister said, I'll go talk to daddy. I'll let him know. And she came out of the den and he, she said, he wants to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, here I go. Here I go. Sit down. And he said, okay, your sister told me that you and Sue are together. And he said, you know what? I am so, so disappointed that you could not come to mommy and I sooner. Because I'm telling you right now, this changes nothing. You're my child. You're my sweetheart. You're a, the love of my life, child. And Sue is amazing because, of course, we were all in Shoppers Drug Mart. We all knew each other. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and <laughs> I... He's like, just use different spoons. That's all <laughs> I want is don't share the spoon anymore. <laughs> That's great. Unsanitary. And, and, you know, it was like, so much weight yeah. was lifted off these little shoulders of mine. I had held this in since I was seven years old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it all washed away in a moment because family is important, right? You have family support. And I know that that is not everyone's experience. And, you know, never, nobody should be outed without consent. I mean, I understand all that. Yeah. But, um, you know, in my particular situation, um, it was a beautiful moment. And what I love about that, when you, and it's not easy, but when you're finally at a place when you're ready to really be who you are, you do also give people an opportunity to show up for you which is like the most healing experience when you're finally willing to take that risk and what a beautiful story the fact that you were able to do that um that's like a really powerful gift you gave to your dad yes yes now i gotta tell you he he um he <laughs> had a little bit of difficulty with the pronouns oh sure didn't, didn't get it <laughs> I mean, and, you know, God love him. He just passed away in December. Okay. And, um, you know, he tried really hard to call me by the name of Lane. And yeah. he really worked on it. He really wanted to understand that piece. So, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you are open mm -hmm. and you care about humanity and you care about people, you will listen and you will learn and you will do better. I have nothing to add to that sentence. That's just about as perfect as they come. So beautifully said. And listen, Lane, unfortunately, we're running out of time. And this is a shame because I have so many more things I want to ask you. But before I let you go and march into the streets with that mic and show people who's boss, would you like to play a game? Of course. <laughs> Thank God. I knew you would. I had a feeling. Of course. Okay, this game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queerer, Queerist! Okay. I'm going to give you three things. Your job is to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay. Okay, here we go. Thing number one, the song She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby. Do you know that song? 
I remember it. I don't remember the words. I remember being high as a kite in a club and dancing to that. Well, I think that's going to be enough intel to make it through. Okay, so so bookend that. That's thing number one. Uh, he just kind of shouts, she blinded me with science, like oh, 40 yes. times. You know it. Yeah. Uh, thing number two, single-use appliances, like an apple corer or an egg hard boiler, things that can only do one thing, but you pay a full price for. Thing number three, that feeling... When you send an email and as soon as you hear the whoosh, you realize you committed a gross typo error. So that feeling, that feeling, the email's gone. Of regret. Of, of whatever. So the three things are, one, she blinded me with science. Two, single-use appliances. Three, the feeling of, uh, of realizing a typo a moment too late. Least queer to most queer and why? Oh, my God. Least queer to most queer. Okay. <laughs> That's like, okay. Build the um, drama. Uh, <laughs> um, no, the least queer is single-use appliances. Oh. Um, because um, in, in my community, uh, we purchase tools that are multi-tools, all of us. Um, <laughs> So, you know, yeah. you never buy just a hacksaw. You'd buy a hacksaw that's also a screwdriver and a bottle opener. Okay. <laughs> yes, correct. Um, she blinded me with science. That, that, that will be the next level towards most queer. Queerer. Um, um, that was Gary Newman. Um, oh, wait. Is oh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was the other guy. Um, Thomas Dolby, right? Didn't Wikipedia Thomas let Dolby. you down? That's okay. right. Okay, great. Thomas Dolby. I remember Thomas Dolby with the glasses. Yeah, um, a bit like makeup-y, a bit 80s glam. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so back in the day, I remember Thomas Dolby. I remember this song. And I remember, you know, that was kind of the time where, um, you know, uh, folks were, uh, in at least in in my community, at you know, at the time of life that I was in, were starting to express themselves at you know as non-binary or 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 otherwise, or just exploring who they are and how they want to present. Mm. So I would say the most queer would be uh, sending the whoosh, uh, the email. <laughs> <laughs> and having that big regret, I don't know why that would be the most queer. It just, I don't know. I just think it's the most queer. I can't even figure out why. I'm just, um, I don't know, but that it is. Enough said and deep in my queer heart, it resonates with me. So I'm, I'm not going to call you on it. Okay, good. So let me just check your marks here. You beautiful. There's no succinct. right or wrong answer. Listen, listen, this is academic. This is a data-driven study. So let me check. <laughs> One, two, three. Congratulations, Lane. 100% A+. plus. You are, in fact, a queer person. Bing, 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 <laughs> bing. Bing, bing, boom, whoosh. Yeah, it was whoosh. that email. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Thank you. This was a true joy and a privilege and a pleasure. And before I let you go, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, well, you know, I'm always plugging um, DEI. So I'm doing workshops around DEI, keynote speaking. So um, if there's anybody out there that wants to connect with me or just connect with me because they want to talk to me, all they got to do is go to auctionista.ca.
do it, auctionista.ca. Uh, use promo code LANE for 10% off the London Lesbian Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> it's still running, I'm assuming. Oh, yes, it is, of course. Legendary, legendary, beautiful. So, yes, uh, go to that website, support LANE in every capacity. And, LANE, I want to thank you because I was very queer when this conversation started, and talking to you has made me queerer than ever. You're so welcome. <laughs> It was a joy. Thank you for having me, Trevor. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Have a good day. Okay, and that is our show. I hope you enjoyed it. Isn't Lane just truly one in a mill, one of the best? Uh, thank you again to Lane. Quick little thing I want to drop here. This is not an ad. I'm not sponsored by these folks, but... Uh, there is something I want to tell you about, which I think is absolutely fantastic and still kind of new. So I want to give it a little leg up, you know, a little you made me queer howdy do. So have you heard about Voda? Actually, I first encountered Voda because one of the co-founders, Jaron So, was a guest on You Made Me Queer in, I think, season two. You can dive back and find that episode. He talks about the uh, humidity of being a Singaporean soldier. It's a spicy conversation. But Jaron went on to develop Voda, which is an LGBTQIA plus mental health app designed by queer folks for queer folks. What's that you say? Why do queer folks need support with their mental health? Uh, yeah, exactly. So two things that are different about Voda. One, they address issues like anxiety and stress differently because they know that queer people face different challenges than cishet folks. Two, they address issues that other mental health apps don't cover at all, like coming out, gender dysphoria, internalized shame, etc., etc. We are a crafty folk and we really know how to brew a trauma. But you can download Voda in the App Store. I think it's on both iOS and Android. You can check out these programs. They are beautiful programs. Maybe you already have a therapist. Maybe you don't have access to therapy. These are some incredible tools that you can have to support you being your best, most beautiful queer self. So, Voda, we love you and uh, everyone else. Enjoy. As always, you can mail me at youmademequeer at gmail.com. I love to receive your mail. You can tell me anything. This is maybe maybe this could be your last chance. What if I stop checking my email and the thing you wanted to say to me, the way you wanted to cyber dunk me is gone. So shoot that shot. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We always need it. We're an old dog. And that's it. Cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our editor is Sean Van Beaton. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at You Made Me Queer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you for listening. Until next time, remember... We're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs>